good morning. Um, thank you for uh, having me today. Thank you for uh, letting me share uh, that video at the beginning. Uh, I love uh, the work that we're doing at Metro Baltimore Seminary. I'm excited about the model that we have with classes meeting one night a week uh, that makes seminary accessible for, for all kinds of leaders that God may be raising up in the church. Um, excited because we have uh, a group of 19 students graduating this December from our master's and bachelor's program. And, um, you know, one of the things that the pandemic has done is it's forced us to rethink even how we do classes. And so we have classes online, which means we actually have uh, a group of missionaries in El Salvador that are taking classes with us, uh, which is just something we never thought of before the pandemic. So uh, grateful to be here with you all today. As Ronnie mentioned, you know, last time I was here, it was before we had this whole online thing. Um, it was, uh, everybody was in one person, but it's, it's actually exciting to see how God has used something like the pandemic to help us rethink even what it means to connect and to be together and to worship together. Uh, so grateful to be here uh, with you uh, in person and online uh, today. Uh, our passage this morning is from Psalm 2, and uh, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that um, not only has it been the worship book for God's people throughout the centuries, but it really presents uh, a God who is present in every circumstance, in every uh, emotion that we could possibly feel. Uh, whether uh, life is going well and we want to shout with praise, there are psalms that speak to that. Uh, whether life is awful and it seems like nothing is going right and we're just down in the dumps, there are psalms that speak to that and say God is there as well. And so whatever situation you bring to life uh, and to the scriptures, when you read the psalms, you find God is there with you when you need to. That's what I love about the psalms. So, uh, as I said, we're, we're, we're in Psalm 2 today, uh, so let me read it for us. Uh, this, is, this is God's word from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we uh, hear now from your word, uh, we ask that your spirit would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your message to us. Um, whatever is in me or in us as a community that would keep us from hearing from you, we ask you to break through that. Uh, we know uh, that your word is life, and we need life this morning. Thank you for your spirit. Please lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, our family was at the beach, 
Uh, and uh, I have actually taken up surfing recently. So I was out uh, on my board trying to learn you know, how to get up on the waves, and I was having a pretty good time of it. It was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. Uh, it was a light breeze. It was like the perfect weather. Uh, but you know, when you're surfing, you, you don't look at the beach most of the time. You look you know, at the waves. You need to sort of be looking out to sea to make sure you see what's coming. And, um, but every so often, you have to look back at the beach, make sure you're not getting dragged out too far. And so on one occasion, I looked back to the beach, and what I saw was not you know, the perfect sunny weather, but this like huge black storm cloud that had appeared. And I was like, oh, I'm probably going to need to get out of the water in a minute. So I took the next wave in. And sure enough, by the time I got into the beach, I mean, it was the clouds had covered the sun, the wind had picked up, sand was blowing in your face. And, you know, within like three minutes, uh, you know, we started hearing thunder. So we packed up all our stuff. And as we were running up to get off the beach, uh, the lifeguards came driving down in their little vehicle with, with this really loud announcement, you know, storm coming, take shelter now. And so, you know, the beach cleared off in an instant. Um, you know, that idea of taking shelter, that's what a refuge is. Uh, the psalm ends by saying, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And a refuge is a, sh a shelter. It's a safe place from the storm. When there's chaos, when there's danger, uh, when there's threatenings, it's a place of safety and security. And the thing is, uh, sometimes life feels like it's out of control, like, like the storm is already raging about us, and we, and we look for that place of refuge, a place where we can get a break. Uh, but, but at other times, life can seem like we're at the beach, and it's a, it's a beautiful day, and everything's going great, um, but it can turn in an instant. And so whatever the circumstances are of your life right now, uh, no matter if all is well or if it feels like life couldn't get any worse, uh, God invites you this morning to come to him, to find a place of safety and security as you put your trust in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, Psalm 2, uh, along with Psalm 1, functions as a kind of introduction to uh, the whole book of the Psalms. Psalm 1 begins by saying, blessed is the man, and Psalm 2 ends by saying, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And in just the, the opening two chapters of the book of Psalms, we see this movement that God's grace always takes from uh, its expansive, it's a missional movement that moves from the individual, blessed is the man, to the many, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And that expansion of God's blessing for all uh, becomes a, really a controlling theme for the book of the Psalms and, and really for all of Scripture as we see God's blessings directed at individuals but never just for them, always meant to extend out to bless all peoples. Uh, and so um, it's not just a blanket blessing, though. It's not just God's blessing, like, sort of spread, uh, spread all over without any specific source. Uh, because it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And that's, that in him is referring to God's son. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a few minutes. But the point of the psalm, I'm sort of giving you the point right at the beginning. Uh, and then we'll unpack that. The point of this psalm is that, is that God's blessing flows through his son 
to those who take refuge in him, and then from them to those around them. And we're going to keep coming back to that image of taking refuge in the Son and that blessing flowing to those around us as we work our way through this morning. Uh, one other piece, one other uh, thing about the psalm uh, before we get into the particulars of it is that Psalm 2 is part of uh, a group of psalms called the Royal Psalms. They're written about the kings, uh, the kings of Israel. And this one in particular uh, was probably written as part of the celebration of the crowning of a new king or else the annual celebration of his rule in Jerusalem. And it refers to God's promise to David that he would have a father-son relationship with him and that God would give him a kingdom that would last forever. When David died, the hope of God's promises to David continued on for each king that came after him. And even after there weren't any more kings in Jerusalem because their enemies had come and conquered them, there was this hope, this expectation that one day God was going to send a good king to make everything right. And as the New Testament readers, looking back after the death and resurrection of Jesus, as they read this psalm, they saw in it a description of Jesus and all that he had done. I don't know if you've ever read like a description of a job, like for a, a posting, and, and every point you think, oh yeah, like I know somebody that fits that description. Or maybe you've heard like an award and, and sort of the criteria for an award, and you're like, yeah, that really fits somebody. Um, that happened to me when I was in high school. When I was a senior, they were reading this very special award that one senior in our school was going to get. And like at every point, I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. So by the time they finished describing the award, I was like halfway out of my seat getting ready to go up. And of course, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was somebody else, right? But, but uh, whereas I don't see myself clearly, uh, the writers of the New Testament saw Jesus very clearly. And they were right to see that this psalm was a description of him. It's actually one of the most often quoted passages from the Old Testament uh, in the New uh, in our, our New Testament reading this morning from Acts 4, um, the, the church actually prays a part of this psalm because they see in the plot against Jesus and against them to keep them from speaking about him, they really see this fulfillment of, uh, of the Lord's message about the nations conspiring against him because they saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the hope of this psalm. Jesus really is the ideal king and he is the focal point for the blessing. He is the focal point for the refuge that God provides as those who take refuge in him are blessed and become a blessing to those around them. So let's dive into the psalm. We're going to look at each, ver each uh, section of the psalm in turn. Um, so the first three verses describe this international conspiracy. Why do the nations rage? The people's plot in vain. Uh, there's turmoil, there's trouble brewing. Some of, the, some of the translations say, why do the nations conspire? The kings of the earth rise up against the Lord. They don't like the fact that God is in charge and they are not. Um, and that's not unique to just one or two people, one or two kings that want to be in charge. That's like the story of human history, right? Like from Adam and Eve all the way forward to today, we humans have not liked the idea that somebody else is in charge. We want to be the sole rulers of our world. And, and so that comes out in all kinds of ways. Anybody else that, that is, has any authority over us, 
we tend to push against that. So we complain about our bosses because we don't like decisions that they make. We, we complain about our parents because they aren't letting us do something that seems really fun at the time. Uh, you know, we complain, anybody that has control, we complain about it because we want to be independent. Now, all of those sort of individual feelings are expanded on this kind of national and international scale. The nations of the earth don't want to answer to God. They stand against God and his anointed, his, his chosen king. The nations want to throw off that rule, and there's this, this boiling rage inside about being made to serve God. And, and so in this context, in this context of that boiling rage that exists both within us and in, in the nations, in, in kind of the world, what does it mean to take refuge in God's son? Remember, that's where the psalm's heading. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, if we look just on a global scale, uh, there's, there's plenty of that kind of boiling chaos and uncertainty uh, around us. There's economic uncertainty. There's, there's chaos in Afghanistan. There's the aftermath of the storm that just came through. Um, there's all kinds of, of reasons to, to really look for refuge, but... But the Psalms offer us a glimpse beyond that sort of boiling turmoil around us. Because verse 1 asks a question, why? It doesn't just say the nations are raging. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot? How do they plot? In vain. They plot in vain. To take refuge in the sun is to trust that God is in control and we are not, and that that's actually a good thing. God's plan is not contingent on whether, on whether the right ruler or the right king or the right you know, decisions are made about the world. Uh, the New Testament ultimately looks and says that the Lord's anointed is Jesus. He was the one who came to confront and to shut down uh, all attempts to rule over the world for selfish gain or for evil purposes. So whatever schemes might be hatched by, by whoever is in charge will not stand against God's purposes. Jesus said even the gates of hell will not stand against his plan to build his church. You know, thinking a little more locally, as, as Ronnie was praying, I was just thinking about this. You know, you all are, are in a search for a new pastor, and you may not know what that looks like, but God does. And not only does he know, he has a plan. And nothing can stand against his plan, not just for the church globally, but for you, for this church locally. Nothing will stand against God's plans for you. That's a beautiful thing. To, to live and to, and, and to experience the reality of. So we can take refuge in Jesus and, and let our need to get wound up about world events or, or future or, or, or who's in charge or whatever decisions are made, we can let all of that go because God is in charge. Jesus has ascended the throne. And more personally, more individually, to take refuge in him is to lay down my passion for getting my own way. It's to admit that I want to run my world 
uh, the way I want, and, and also to acknowledge that if I did, things would not go well. Right? I mean, that's, we, we, we fool ourselves into thinking, you know, if I could just be in charge for a day. No, if you could be in charge for a day, the world would come to an end. We would not do well at all running things. And yet we get angry when things don't go our way. We get upset because we, we did everything we were supposed to do and, and things didn't turn out the way we thought they would. Or we make a decision and then we get upset because the choice we made has consequences and we don't like them. Or, or we, we, we feel rage because, you know, the thing that we really wanted, we get it and it turns out it doesn't satisfy us. To take refuge in Jesus is to acknowledge that the anger that I feel comes from a deep place of wanting to be in charge, of wanting to be proved right, of needing to control my life and demanding that my desires are met, to let go of all of that because Jesus is the one who is in control and he is a good king. He is a better king than any of us could ever be. And not only that, Jesus actually died for that anger that I feel, for that, that sin that says, I want to be in charge, God. That is why Jesus died. He died so that I can admit it and put it on him and receive God's forgiveness. And here's where that outward movement begins to set in, because not only does God give us the gift of forgiveness for us, but when we take refuge in Jesus, we begin to be a place of blessing for others because we're free to extend that forgiveness to them. So when someone else seeks to be in charge and gets upset when they don't get their way, like the guy that you know I may have cut off in traffic yesterday and he got upset with me, right? Do I shake my fist in retaliation? Well, I'd certainly like to. But finding refuge in Jesus means I'm free to admit, hey, maybe I made a mistake, and I can forgive you. Now, I didn't have to interact with the guy, the driver that was behind me, but all throughout our day, we have opportunities to actually interact and engage with the people who need our forgiveness. And by extending the forgiveness we've received from God to those around us, we become that conduit of God's blessing to those around us because we point them to the one who actually offers refuge. So the next section, uh, beginning in verse 4, shifts the focus from the nations onto the God who's in control. Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Um, God is, is sort of pictured as mocking the nations. Now, it's not that God is, is like sitting there, you know, telling jokes like Stephen Colbert about the nations, right? He's, he's, not, he's not having fun with it. He takes it seriously. But he is so far above the situation that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't worry him. You know, I'm the oldest of uh, three brothers. And as the oldest, um, you know, I probably did things, not probably, definitely did things that annoyed my younger brothers. But when they tried to get back at me, um, you know, I was bigger, so I could just sort of like hold them at arm's length, you know, and they'd be like trying to swing and, you know, they couldn't reach me because I was bigger, right? That's, that's a little bit of, of how God is viewing the nations. You know, they're like shaking their fists at him and he's like, what? What are you going to do? Because he's God. 
He, he is so much bigger. He is so secure in who he is, and his plans are so short. He's not worried in the least about what the nations are going to do. And when we forget that, that's when we get sucked into this idea that we've got to somehow be the ones who defend God. You know, we get sucked into the culture wars thinking that it's our job to defend God, to make sure that he isn't dishonored, to make sure that his agenda is kept up, you know, in our laws or in our courts or in our schools. And, and there's a place we need to fight and push for justice in our country and in our government and in our institutions. But justice for the oppressed, justice for the poor, justice for the weak, not justice for God. You don't have to defend God. He can take care of himself. He, is, he, he doesn't need us to defend him from the assaults of an unbelieving world. And when we forget that, we get all wrapped up and worried about, you know, what the direction our culture is taking. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't paying attention and he doesn't care about what's happening. He absolutely does. Verse 5, I mean, it's, it's pretty strong. It says, he speaks to them in his wrath and terrifies them in his fury. Um, in some ways, we're, we're, that's kind of scary. What are we supposed to do with that? Uh, God, it, it, does he want us to sort of view him as this angry father who's, you know, about to, to you know, go on a rampage? No. And, and that's why knowing the full story of the psalm and how Jesus fulfills it is so important. Because verse 6 doesn't say, you know, God rolls in with the battle tanks and crushes the nations. No, it says, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And if you read this just as a song about the installation of a king, you might think, oh, God's, God's installing a really powerful king. He's going to come with his strong army and, and crush his enemies. Um, that's certainly what the people in Jesus' day thought when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Literally, save us, son of David. They thought he was the king from Psalm 2 that was coming to fight, and he was the king who was coming, but not to fight. Uh, the, book of, the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 10 talks about Jesus' installation as king. And it describes this same scene from the psalm. It says, Jesus was crowned king and given glory and honor, not through his power, but through his sufferings. He came to defeat his enemies, not by crushing them with his strength, but by having God's wrath brought down on him. In the end, God takes his own wrath, his own fury at all the evil in the world and pours it out on himself in Jesus so that there is a place to come for refuge. To take refuge in Jesus is to run to him and admit when you are in the wrong. Because apart from him, there is only anger and wrath. But in Jesus, there is only the delight of God the Father for you. Because Jesus has already taken God's wrath and defeated God's enemies by his death and resurrection. And if you believe in him, he's already washed you and made you clean. To take refuge in him means you don't have to have it all together. It's okay to admit when you're wrong. It's safe to bring your failures into the light because in Jesus, all of it is washed away. He is the king who came to take the punishment for his people 
not to dish it out. The third section of the psalm then begins in verse 7, and here the, the person who's writing it actually switches voices, and now they're actually speaking as the king, presumably King David. And he quotes God's promise that he made in 2 Samuel 7. 7, I am your father and you are my son. God had this special relationship with the king. And it was that relationship that was the source of his strength and his power. See, it wasn't that he was weak. Jesus didn't come and suffer because he wasn't strong enough to have defeated the Romans. It wasn't that Jesus came and died because that was all he could do, like he couldn't do anything else. Philippians 2 says that Jesus actually laid aside his power. He laid aside his right. He purposefully became weak. Why? Because his strength wasn't in his ability to fight someone. It was in his relationship to the Father. His power came from that relationship that he had to the Father. And and God was the source of that strength. Jesus had those words of the Father spoken over him at his baptism. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. And he lived with that knowledge that everything he had and everything he did came from the Father. To take refuge in Jesus means to let him be the source of your life and your strength. It means your life doesn't have to be perfectly curated. You you know, if you're tired of trying to have this life on social media that you think you need to have or that you think other people want to see, let that go. Take refuge in Jesus. He is the son who invites you to become a son or a daughter of God. He chooses you not because you have your life together, not because you are strong, but because he loves you. And in his love, he makes you his. If you're tired of trying to control the chaos of your life or the chaos that's raging inside of you, take refuge in Jesus. Admit that you can't control it anyway. Bring your brokenness and your pain. You know, when we see things like sickness afflict somebody that we love, uh, when we feel the loss of a broken relationship, or when we experience disappointment, in all of those things, we're confronted with the reality uh, that we are we, we cannot, we do not have the power in our own selves to, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to change an individual's heart. We don't even have the, the power to change our own hearts. Take refuge in Jesus and let him be strong. Let him be the one who's strong and find strength in your relationship to him. So in the final section, beginning in verse 10, the focus returns back to the kings of the earth. Uh, presumably, they're still conspiring against the Lord and his anointed, uh, and uh, they're warned. They're warned to fear the Lord and kiss the Son. Fear, in this case, is about more than just being scared. It's about admitting that God is the center and the source, and I am not. It implies dependence. So if a king uh, feared David, the king in Jerusalem, uh, it meant that they would come to him and say, you're stronger than me. And I connect my people to you. Whatever you do, I will do. Um, It implied dependence on him. And kissing the son was about showing respect. Uh, My life isn't about you. It's about, it isn't about me. It's about you. It's admitting who I really am and who God is. 
He is greater, and I'm dependent on him. And with the coming of Jesus, the, 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 the dependent loyalty that the kings in David's time would have originally showed is transformed, and it's extended beyond the boundaries of one particular country to all who come to him, believing that Jesus is God who rose from the dead, and they come under his refuge. If you put your faith in Jesus, your life is tied to his. You know, we administer the, the sign of baptism. Uh, the water um, of baptism is a sign that we are washed in Jesus and we are bound to him. Our life is wrapped up with his, in his death and his resurrection. In a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the cup. It's, it's a reminder, a physical reminder, that our life is tied up with Jesus and we are dependent on him and he provides what we need. To take refuge in Jesus is to freely admit who we are, dependent people who need life from him. Now, admitting who you are can be a pretty scary thing. It means seeing yourself uh, maybe as you'd like to not see yourself, uh, allowing things to be revealed that you hoped would always stay hidden. Um, you know, sometimes... When I'm afraid to admit who I am, uh, I think that I need to be a certain kind of leader. And so I try to be somebody that I'm not. And uh, I, what uh, invariably what happens is when I try to be somebody that I'm not, I end up making things worse in the process. Trying to be someone you're not will always end in hurt and loss. So come to Jesus for refuge. Admit that he is God and you are not. Let him show you who you really are because there's safety there. There's safety to be weak, to be broken, to be hurt, safety to be yourself because he knows who you are and he loves you. He came to make you his. And when you, when you do that, when you admit who you truly are, you actually expand the circle of blessing beyond yourself because God's refuge for you is more than just for you it's for those around you who suspect that life is a bit too much for them who are confronted and consumed by anger by frustration over broken dreams who are hurting and just need somebody to listen to them without judgment you can be that conduit of blessing to those around you to your friends to fellow students at school, to your co-workers. Because as you take refuge in Jesus, you become a safe place for others to find refuge in him too. Because you're not trying to pretend to be somebody you're not. And when they see that, they see, oh, there's somebody who's broken and hurting, just like me, but who's found a place of refuge in Jesus. The circle of blessing expands beyond Blessed is the man to blessed are all who take refuge in him. So I don't know what's going on in your life today. Uh, maybe things are going really well. Maybe you barely made it here this morning. Uh, either way, we all need a place of refuge to run to. And Jesus is that refuge. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Father, thank you for the gift 
that Jesus gives us of refuge, of safety. We ask you, Holy Spirit, this week to move us to not only see our need, but to look to Jesus and to find refuge in him. Would you make us conduits of your blessing to the people you've put in our lives that not only would we find refuge in you, but that the people that we love and that we care about would find refuge in you too as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.